Welcome to the Absolute Purpose Project, a podcast series by Absolute PR and Marketing that investigates inspiring and enlightening individuals, brands, and organizations that focus on purpose as a force for good. In our podcast series, we will explore the best ways of communicating purpose through the eyes of some of the UK's most inspirational communicators and their compelling and often quirky stories. The Absolute Purpose Project is an extension of the work the agency has been doing for the last 20 years in guiding brands to deliver environmental and social impact through action, innovation and communication. I can hear your passion about this, or this subject. It's so evident. And I just wonder, so obviously you were very pivotal in the creation of Surfers Against Sewage. So at what point did you step away and decide? So when we knew in 98, 97, 98, that they were going to treat all of the continuous discharges to this high level, that was 85% of what we set out to do. I wanted to go and try and use what I'd learned and apply it to a broader range of issues, yeah. which is kind of what I do now, I guess. Mm-hmm. So finding the, identifying the problem, coming up with a solution, creating that environment for change. And whether that be in farming, whether that be in construction, you know, yeah. I, like last year I did, I even got asked to go, and it's a weird one. I got asked to go and do a talk to the national funerals exhibition. So every two years, the whole funerals is, association you know and it was a bizarre show but you know you go in there and you can see again those little nuggets of change coming i had a conversation with a guy who they were selling hearses and limos and they were all mercedes and i said well you know how's it going i said i'm doing this talk and he said he said well people are interested and they were selling a few of the electric hearses and a few of the electric thing he said but he pointed at the diesel one he said i can't sell those no one wants to buy one of those anymore right and those are those shifts that we're seeing you know those things are happening all the time Mm. it must be quite interesting because you're deep diving into industries and businesses that you otherwise would never know about yeah that and that, that that's kind of so when i get a brief to go and talk to someone about or they're up there they're quite often completely you know left field of what I would normally do. So I drill in and I go, what are their issues? How can they be positive drivers of change? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the issues that they will face that, you know, what's their vision? How can we affect that? One of the massive ones is that we, we have to connect back. Yes. So just taking time, you know, we need all, everybody needs to slow down Mm -hmm. of that just in terms of our consumption, but also our pace of life to savor things a little bit more. It feels like we get some, at times we're just driven. I'm, I'm guilty as well, I'm sure. But sometimes you just go, hang on a second. I don't, I'd never even thought about why I'm doing this. I just got moved down the line, you know, yeah. and you suddenly go, I don't really even have any interest in this particularly. Mm. But because someone asked me, you, you can end up kind of like rolling into something, but that you've never thought I've got limited time. Yes. What am I, where can I be most effective in, in these, these areas? What do I do that brings me joy? And, mm. and, you know, you can suddenly go, I haven't even been for a walk outside or something. And you've missed that. And I think, again, how we can power up. And I, and I do mentoring as well. I do, 
I mentor a few people, a couple of people pay me good money to be mentored. And that allows me to rob Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. And so I then mentor two guys like Louis VI is a young person of color musician. He's got a degree of in zoology from Bristol, but he's mostly a rapper and he got his own section in the green zone at COP26 where he did nature ain't a luxury. Why the environment has a problem with people of color. And he wrote the music for the premiership's anti-racist adverts. He's like, he's again, like a powerhouse. What a phenomenal person. I'm going to have to yeah. look him up. Yeah, Louis VI. And when you first start mentoring, you probably do every week, every couple of weeks. But I might not hear from them now for like a few months. But then they'll go, oh, God, I've got to do this cop. Or, oh, my goodness, I've got to do this. And then we'll just do an hour of brainstorming of what it's going to be like and giving them the kind of help, support, yeah. confidence. Public speaking. It's not well, <laughs> no and, and but it's even just the energy to do some of those things and the feeling that they're right i think sometimes when you're campaigning against what the world feels like it's all too easy to go to forget that you're kind of on the side of the righteous here we've got the angels flying along next to us because we should look after the world oh, we should God. look after and absolutely we should also look after each other we don't need to live in a world which is just driven by billionaire trillionaires because mm. and again they will at some point or other have that moment of realization that when they're on their you know all people in palliative care none of them regret never having had a turbo supercharged lamborghini what they regret is that they didn't do little things like this this morning talking to you trying to kind of spread that appreciation of our planet and each other agreed and if we can't help each other and come together a little more it's not going to work is it no and but you know joe cox there's more that we have in common than divides us so question for you what in between all of this stuff do you do to relax go surfing plant trees try and make katie laugh (laughs) (laughs) um and because she's a she's a a consultant pediatrician and works a butt off and one of my biggest joys is if i see she's had a wave she's got a wonderful smile and i'll see her come back over the where she starts paddling back out and i can see her smile from a long way off so that's one of my absolute joys if i can see that but walking i love walking on dartmoor and walking around anywhere but dartmoor absolute i i sometimes get as much from a walk on dartmoor as i do from a good surf really yeah 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 because the moment you're actually out there you don't see anyone you know you can walk for hours and hours and hours and hours and not see people and i think that that's an absolute it's very grounding yeah it is it it allows you to slow down to connect and to actually notice Mm. what you have around you yeah yeah you know i think walking is a hugely underrated activity you know, there was the famous um, Dr. William Bird who coined the, fr- uh, the, the the phrase green gym. You know, he, he was GP from Reading. I think he still even might be. Brilliant, brilliant man. And um, he he knew that he had all these people with physical and mental issues and they kept coming and he'd try and encourage them to do stuff and go to the gym or whatever. And then one day he just said, OK, everybody meet Friday afternoon outside the surgery. We're going to go for a walk. Mm. and he just they all went for a walk 
that should happen so much more often. I think, yeah. you know, what about business meetings? Why can't that be done over a walk sometimes? Yeah. And the meeting will be better. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. The meeting will be better. Yeah. So you've been involved in environmental activism and sustainability for pretty much 30 years. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that the behavioural change is happening at the speed that it should and needs to? I guess I got a caveat that slightly. Uh, it's easy to think it is because maybe we live in a bubble where we see some of it happening. I think big companies and big organisations are changing and we need them to have those behavioural changes as well. Mm. I think as individuals, probably an awful lot of us don't know what we need to do. I think it's almost we're getting to a point where a lot of people would say, I can change if I knew what to change to. Mm. And we need the leadership to take us there a bit. But I think, you know, I, I subscribe to Ethical Consumer magazine and I would encourage everybody else to. It's brilliant. It allows you to make lots and lots of changes from you know, the tea you buy or the coffee you buy to the bank that you use, to where you put your mortgage, to which car. It, it's a brilliant resource, Ethical Consumer. And that's about making changes. And it's not that necessarily you have to be the, the best, but you can all we can all move up that league table of whether it be our bank or our mm. what, whatever it is. There's a deal here, isn't there? If we as society do our bit, absolutely the companies and government need to do their bit from the top down as well. And, you know, change does usually come, it, you know, it's grassrootsy. And I think that is happening. But I think a lot of people are probably feeling like a bit bamboozled and, and there's a danger. And I've heard this, this, this said that some of the younger generation, I mean, 45% of all young people, I think it's under 21s, suffer from eco-anxiety. Mm. That's a heavy thing. To wake up every morning, be going a level of anxiety. And anxiety can be crippling. Yeah, of course. And if you feel that, then you know and some people then t go from there and they say well i'll just give up and i'll just consume and burn let's mm -hmm. but the bit that we've got to do is to take that and 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 when you you know when you freeze when it feels too much that's when you have to dig deep and go okay let's go let's try and do something because the very act of trying to do something is better than freezing and getting too anxious but absolutely. So when I, so I talked about this with these 1800 students um, mm. up at Brentwood on Tuesday, and I said, make sure that you talk to each other about it, that you talk to your parents, your colleagues, your, your tutors, your teachers. Don't end up in, on your own in a hole with eco-anxiety. Mm. Because, and again, in life, and I always, when I look back at SAS, you know, one of the great things that we learned and we did it kind of intuitively was to put our hands up and say, help. Two things happen when you ask for help. And eco-anxiety is a classic one of these. Is lots, other people go, oh, I thought I was the only one struggling with that. Yeah. And that happens, like classically in conferences, that happens, doesn't it? Someone will go, someone will go, oh, it's um, uh, this is an AOMB. And someone will say, um, what's an AOMB? And half the rest of the audience will go, thank goodness i thought i was i didn't know what it meant and then that normalizes that and you find out the answer and then the second thing is that someone somewhere will say i think i can help you mm. and at sas we were we were blessed 
because we had help from scientists, engineers, doctors, financial institutions, all these people all just piled in. Filmmakers like Springhall Fanthorpe, you know, all these people helped us because change is a collective thing. Change mm. is driven by, I was privileged enough to run it, but absolutely that was a team effort. Yeah. That was a team effort of all the people who worked as the staff, all the people who paid their membership, turned up at, mm. that's a team effort. And collectively, we will make this change happen. We will. We have to believe that. So on the subject of anxiety and those feelings of anxiety, uh, technology, mm. is that a friend or a foe for you? Technology enhanced well will help us get out of where we are. Right. It won't be, though you can't keep replicating it. There's a danger that technology becomes the beast that drives mm -hmm. itself mm -hmm. and that you have to buy the next one and you have to buy the next one, you have to buy the next one. And I just read a brilliant book called The Dairy Story, which is about calf and cow farming by this couple up in Scotland. And they were saying that, that you know, the best way to do it is just to almost go back to the natural way of farming mm. because you get hooked into the new, the next tool, the next set of best things. And that you again, and then you have to buy again. But technology can do some amazing things if, as well, they're kind of almost community-owned or societally owned. Mm. I can remember, I'm old enough to remember Tomorrow's World, and they had on Tomorrow's World a production line. And they said this brilliant production line will mean that we can all end up having a three-day working week. Mm. And everybody went, wow. And what actually happened was they put the production lines in, made loads of people redundant and coined the profit. And the rich people got richer and everybody else got to do the production line and continue to work a five-day working week. So even back then, you know, that building of a technological solution was hijacked and, and, the, and it ended up in the ownership of the few. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's, in Mark Carney's book, Values, which is a brilliant book, a hard read if you're not an economist, the first part, but I got my head into it. And, you know, former governor of the Bank of England, values, building a better society, a better world for us all. Mm. And in that, he talks about two tragedies. One, the tragedy of the commons, that we, you know, we don't understand that we're all collectively in this and that we have to kind of share. But the second bit being the tragedy of the horizon, that we we need longer horizons. We need to have technologies and plans and things built in for a longer timescale than a simple five-year political one and, you know, a six-monthly return to your investors and things. Those those two things drive us bonkers and are not helpful for a collective world. But, yeah, some technologies will help, help drive, but you have to also drill into them. You have to challenge a technology and say, is that really the best thing? So that's where kind of like devil's advocacy and things work and you have to challenge. So... In life, what is your preferred method of communication? I like to talk to people. I absolutely, yeah. When you're trying to do emails and things, they're so easy to get sent it, wrong, the wrong, wrong way around, you know, the wrong intuition. You put in the wrong words. Like I've got 70, 80 emails coming over the weekend. Why? I can't, you know, and you, and so therefore you almost hit them in a stressed mode anyway, mm. because you know there's 80. Yeah. So I, I like 
doing these Zoomy podcast talks where you have a visual. Yeah. Um, and I quite like the length of them as well. Like, a you know, circa an hour is really nice way to have a, a meeting. I love meeting people if I can. You know, I'm lucky I've got the blue bar at Porth Town and I have lots of meetings down at the beach in the, the cafe, the blue bar at Porth Town. But I, again, like the phone call. Yeah. Emails are hard. I don't really do very much social media. Mm. I, ne I'm not a tweeter. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I should be, but I, I find some of that toxic, the kind of incoming and the bombarding. And I don't know whether I'm up for that really. Mm. I, I, cause I, I, I probably would suffer from anxiety. I probably worry about what other people think. And I know, you know that's kind of one you shouldn't. So yeah, I like communicating. Okay. That way. So final question for you, Chris, one that we use regularly. What is your morning routine? How do you set yourself up for the day? So my morning routine, we get up about six. So then my job, get Katie off to work. So that happens anywhere between about an hour. And then I usually either go for a walk out to the garden or there's a little valley here. So I walk up the valley or I clamber up the hill and out. I might go for a surf if there's surf. And then I'll probably have a coffee and then start working. That's my That's my kind of morning routine. I try and stick to it. Um, I also have to do exercises as well and stretches because I had a, I got a new hip a year ago. Still managing to surf on your new hip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back in. <laughs> I'm back in. I'm loving my new I couldn't get a recycled second-hand one. That was my only downside. Oh, well, <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Chris. That was such a great chat. Oh, good. No, lovely. Thank you, Jenny. I great. want to ask you just, to, you know, for the uh, listener, where can the listener find out more about you? www.agos.co brilliant thank that's you. how you find me thank you chris pleasure lovely thank you that's really enjoyable that's great thank you for listening to the first in the series of the absolute purpose project please feel free to follow our work at absolute pr marketing our handle across all channels and please don't forget to rate, subscribe and share our podcast with all your friends.